morning. If you have your Bibles handy, won't you turn with me to Luke chapter 18, please? Luke chapter 18. Normally on the fourth Sunday of every month, we have a singing. And in lieu of that today, we, I, I was talking with Stephen on Thursday, and we felt there may not be as, as many men here that normally lead singing because of spring break coming to an end and tra- people traveling all around. So uh, for your luck, you get to hear me speak for a couple, couple minutes. Uh, it's, been a, uh, it's been a busy month for me, and this chapter that we're about to dive into is one that is very helpful and very, uh, one that I've grown to appreciate in the past few months, or in the past month or so. Um, chapter 18 of Luke starts off with a couple stories about prayer. It's about a persistent widow. It's about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and it's about children. And prayer is this important part of our lives. Growing up, we were often, in my family, we were taught to pray before meals, to pray before we went to bed, and then we would pray in services. And there was a very gray area where it came as, as children and as we were growing up between rote prayers and sincere prayers. One of my fondest memories, and it, it's, it's, a, it's an amusing memory, was my little brother. When he would pray, he would say the same prayer every single time. And it got to a point where we could recite the prayer as he was saying it. And by that time, it was, it was pretty obvious that he needed to just learn a little more about what prayer was supposed to be like and how it was supposed to come out. But sometimes that's how our prayers are even when we grow up. I find myself sometimes just saying the same things over and over again. Thank you, Lord, for giving me another day. Thank you for blessing me with an opportunity to work. Thank you for blessing me with a, a family to take care of. And sometimes those prayers just do become rote or repeated and lose their meaning. So this morning, what I want us to look at in chapter 18 is all about prayer, how to make it sincere, how to make it effective in our lives. And we have three different lessons that I want to look at. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, if I can turn this on, talking to God. And we're going to ask the question, how should we talk to God? And as we dive into this, we have to understand what role prayer plays in our life. So first of all, when we pray, we, I, I kind of group it into a couple different categories. We can pray for thanksgiving. We can be thankful for what God has blessed us with. He has given us so much in our lives, and we just have so much praise that we can pour out to him. We can pray because we are tired or weak and we need help. And we turn to God for his strength and for his aid. And we ask him in in sort of a requesting prayer. And sometimes we just pray to God because we need to talk to God. We need to build our relationship with our Father in heaven. And if we want to build this relationship with God, we have to have this avenue between us where we do conversate. And that means opening up to him. He may already know, he does already know everything that's going on in our lives. But I don't know about you, when I am sitting there talking to God and opening up in my own words, it helps me feel a little closer to Him because I'm opening up and and sharing things that I I may not want to talk about. But sometimes when we pray, we we have a formal type of view, or at least I I think in my own life, sometimes I think it has to be a a formal opportunity where I'm sitting there very... uh, Thank you, and uh, very sir and no sir. But when I think about my own conversations with my own dad, that's, that's not always how my conversations go. With my dad, it's very informal. It's very almost, converse, it's, it's a conversation. I feel at ease. I feel comfortable. 
I think we need to have that same comfort when we talk to God. A comfort to feel free to talk about anything we need to. To have a, a sense of respect, yes, but not to feel like we're interviewing or, or just talking to someone so important that we have to be very formal in everything we say. Prayer is meant to be this building block for us in our faith and in our relationship with God. And the more we can learn about it, the more we understand about what prayer is supposed to look like, the more we can grow. In Luke chapter 18, the first story we get is that story of a persistent widow. And if you'll begin with me in verse, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This story has always interested me. It's it's one of those that, in my mind, I get this visual image of this this woman coming to this judge and constantly saying, hey, I need help. I need help. I need you to do something for me. I need you to, to give me justice against my adversary day after day after day. And again, if when, when I think about this story, I think about my own life and growing up. And if any of you have ever grown up with young children or had young children, which I think most of you have, there comes a point when that younger sibling or young child just asks that one last question that gets on your nerves. It's that same question they've been asking five times in a row, and it's just, well, what about this? Well, what's this? Well, what's this? Well, what's this? And it gets to a point where your nerves get on that edge. And for me, again, I, I talk about my little brother a lot. That was our relationship when he was younger. And it was that, Chandler, you just got to stop. You, you got to stop that. That's what we see with this judge. This woman has kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And finally, he reaches a point where he says, I just can't take it anymore. I'm going to do what she says, not because I care about God or fear God or fear man. I just want her to stop. I need her to stop bothering me. This parable teaches us the the first way we should talk to God. And that way is persistence is key. When we pray, sometimes we, we feel like it's not being heard. That I'm praying to God over and over again, or I've prayed to God a couple times, and maybe he's not listening to me. Maybe I'm just not getting through. Being persistent means I don't give up when I feel like I'm not being heard. Being persistent means I don't give up when I think, oh, I've prayed about that enough this week. Being persistent means that if I have something in my life that I'm praying about constantly, something that's on my mind and weighing me down, it means that every single prayer that I give to God is going to talk about that. I'm going to ask him for help when I need help constantly. Praying praying with persistence requires confidence in God. And again, I go back to this idea that sometimes we stop praying with persistence because we feel like he's not listening or we feel like I'm just not getting through, or that the, the answer hasn't come yet. But in order to pray persistently, to keep coming back to God, there has to be a level of confidence in God. 
that I know God is hearing me, that I know God will answer me in his time and in his way, and that I know God can do all things. Persistence needs that confidence in our prayers. When I look at this persistent widow, I don't see any lack of confidence here. She goes to this judge and says, I need justice against my adversary. And she turns to this judge who she has confidence in that can get it done. And she constantly goes back to him until the answer is, is yes. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the more persistent we are, we are always going to get a yes from God. But what we do see in this parable is what Jesus says down in verse, in verse 6. And the Lord says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I think what we see in this part of the passage is that Jesus is saying, God hears your prayers. And God will handle whatever persecutions and oppressions are coming your way. God will give justice to you. He will save you. One of the things that I take from this is that there's, there's nothing here about a specific day or a specific amount of time that is going to come. All we see is that it's going to come speedily. There's, amount, for me, there's an amount of patience that comes with this persistence. That yes, I'm going to keep coming back to God and back to God, and I'm going to keep asking Him for help. But I still have to be patient. I still have to say, you know, God, it's, it's in your time, not in mine. It's your will, not my will. But my confidence is that God is going to give justice to his faithful, to his elect. And that's what, the elect, that's what I take the elect to mean, is that his faithful, those who have been saved through, through his son. Again, when we think of persistence, there are things that stop us from being persistent. I've already mentioned not being heard or, or feel like I'm, I'm not getting through. But sometimes I'm not persistent because my life just seems to be too busy. My work is piling up. I've got so many projects I've got to get done. My family has a lot of things that I've got to help with. I've got to take people places. I've got to feed others. My life is just too busy to constantly pray to God about the same thing. Sometimes I don't pray persistently because maybe I don't have the energy. I get to the end of the day and I think, you know, I've been working really hard. I've, I've talked to a lot of people. I've, I've been at a lot of functions. I just want to sleep. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to God about this tomorrow. And sometimes we aren't persistent because we're afraid of being told no. In today's world or culture, the, the idea is to be that when someone asks for someone or when someone goes for something, they want it now. They want it immediately. They want to be told yes. But sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is you don't need that right now. I'm going to come to you and, and deal with that a different way. When we have these excuses or difficulties to keep being persistent in our prayers, for me, in my life, I know it boils down to where my trust is at. If my trust isn't in God completely, I'm not going to keep going back to Him. I'm not going to keep praying to Him and asking for help. But what I do trust in, whether that's myself and my own abilities or, or someone I look up to, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to ask them for help. I'm going to try and resolve problems in my own way because that's where my trust is at. Without persistence, 
then my prayers are going to stop the moment I feel a lack of energy or I feel forgotten or I feel like it's not worth it. We need trust in our prayers, in, in, in God, in order to be persistent. We need that confidence. And so when we talk about being persistent in prayers, it, it, it comes out in a, different, a couple different ways. When I'm really worried about something, then I should be constantly praying about it. I should be constantly going to God, whether that's on my drives to work, whether that's at uh, some time in the morning where I can just carve out maybe 30 minutes, an hour to be with God. Maybe that's at night when I ask my wife, hey, what should we pray about tonight? What should we, what's been on your mind? Being persistent means we set out this block of time to constantly go back to God, especially if it's something we're worried about. When it comes to spiritual matters, when it comes to temptations or, or sins, then the first person I should be turning to is God. The first, person I, or first, first thing I should be doing is praying and asking for help and asking for strength. And with temptations or sin, those aren't just one-time things. It's not always just, a, oh, I've, I've dealt with that today. I don't have to ever worry about it again. Temptation has a way of coming back and coming back. And sometimes in ways you, you may not even think they'd come back. Being persistent with temptation means I'm always going to pray about that. I'm always going to be wary of what I've been tempted by, what I've fallen to before. Being persistent in prayers means I'm, when I'm really happy, when things are going really well in my life, I'm constantly going to be going back to God thanking Him for what He's done. Thanking Him for the new opportunities at work. Thanking Him for the new, new brothers or sisters in Christ. Thanking Him for the blessings He has given to me and to my family. Being persistent in my prayers means that when I'm going through trials or when my trials or sufferings maybe have ended or, or I see a light at the end of the tunnel, I'm going to be persistently praying to God because I know He's helped me. I know he's walked beside me in those trials. I know he's cared for me. Being persistent in our prayers builds this relationship with God. I don't know about you, but when we talk to someone daily, that relationship becomes close. I think of all my closest friends, and I think, man, most of those people I talk to at least once or twice a week, and sometimes even every day. Those relationships are the strongest. Now imagine how strong our relationship with God can be if we are persistent in our prayers. This persistent widow was persistent towards this judge, and he relented. And as Jesus says, think about how much God will give justice to his elect more than this unrighteous judge. The second story we read of is in, starting in verse 9 of chapter 18. And it's the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Uh, now at this time, a Pharisee and a tax collector are basically on opposite ends of the, the, the social spectrum. The Pharisee is a religious, uh, religious social member or, or icon, I guess you would, you would say, or example. Um, he knows the law in and out. He, he understands everything. He holds it to a higher degree. And a lot of the stories we see with Pharisees are them passing judgment on other people because they know the law. And then you have a tax collector who, at this time, people saw tax collectors as crooked, as, as wicked people who, who take more than they need so they can have a little extra. 
And so with that in mind, this idea of these two different people with different spectrums, let's pick up in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There's a stark difference between these two men. The Pharisee is there standing in front of everyone, saying, God, thank you for making me unlike these other men. Thank you for making me righteous. I do, I do all these things for you, Lord. I give tithes to you. I fast for you. And then you have this tax collector who, who feels so unworthy that he's standing far away. And he's not even looking up to God. And he just asks for mercy. The difference between these two men is an idea of humility. And that's an idea that we have to have in our prayers. That humility is a must when we go before God. Because when we look at this parable, this story, Jesus tells us that the tax collector is the one who goes away justified. The tax collector is the one who has his prayer answered. My pride can seep into my prayers very easily. When we look at what this, this Pharisee is saying, he's, he's talking about all the things that he hasn't done. He's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's not even like that tax collector. He's so blinded by what he thinks he's not that he doesn't realize his, his pride is right in there. When my pride gets into my prayers, it's because I think I'm doing great. I haven't stumbled recently. I haven't fallen to temptation in ways that I, I think I should have or, or I might have. I've been really good with my prayers. I've been really good with my Bible reading. I've been really good about giving to God. And I can sit there and say, you know, God, look at all this stuff that I've, I've done for you. That's where my pride comes in. And sometimes it, it may not seem like pride. It may just seem like, God, look, I, I, my faith is growing. I'm doing all these things for you. But sometimes that is pride. The Pharisee, another aspect of this pride, the Pharisee is there in public. He wants people to hear him for what he's praying. He wants people to hear what he's doing for God. Do I pray sometimes for others' benefit? I ask my question this a couple times, at least a week, because sometimes I wonder if maybe when I'm praying in public, maybe before a meal at a restaurant, am I doing that so other people can see me praying? Am I doing that because I just, I want to be this great example, and I want people to see me pray? Or am I doing it just because I want to get close to God? I want God to hear me when I talk to Him. Pride can come into our prayers. Sometimes pride comes into our prayers because we're proud to be Christians. We're proud to be faithful. I'm proud to know that my words can reach God and do reach God. I'm proud to know that I am being heard. I'm proud to know that I have faith. 
and I have changed from a sinful life. But that pride has no place in my prayers to God. Because God is the one who has guided me, who has saved me, who has done all the work. We don't have a right to be prideful in our prayers. Firstly, our, our prayers revolve around God. They don't revolve around me. I have started in, in prayers that I have to start with a, a block of my prayer thanking God for what He's done. Because when I start to thank God for all that He's done, my things become less important. What I have done today has become less important because I realize and recognize that God is at work, that God is doing the hard work. Secondly, my prayer is, is supposed to glorify or petition God. And I don't know about you, but when, when I am glorifying God or, or asking for something, especially when I, when I think about my own day-to-day -day conversations, when I'm asking someone for some, something, it doesn't help to be prideful. In request. It doesn't help to be prideful in praising someone else because then it feels kind of backhanded. It feels like an empty, empty praise or request. And if my prayer is meant to glorify God or petition God, then my pride will take away from that. And thirdly, like I've kind of mentioned, do, do relationships ever really grow when one party is prideful? I think of my own life and I think of the, the people that I have encountered or been friends with or am still friends with, and some of my weakest relationships are the ones where the other person just can't stop talking about themselves. They can't stop thinking about, well, look what I've done. And I know I'm guilty of that just as much as the next person, but it's hard to have a relationship when one party is prideful or haughty. And if we want to be humble in our prayers, if we want to remove this pride from our, our prayer life, we have to change our approach of how we, how we go to God. We should have a God-first approach, a focus on what He's done or what He can do. We should be acknowledging His power over our own, understanding that His power is far greater than anything we might be able to do in this world. And we acknowledge His blessings for what He has given us and helped us with. When I start to recognize God's authority and power and how He's helped me, it makes me feel a little small. It makes me feel and understand that I can't do it myself. I can't save myself. Only God can save me. Humility is a must in our prayers. And thirdly, the, the last story that we see in this passage is in verse 15. Verse 15, now they were bringing, him, bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus has these children, these infants being brought to him. And his disciples are trying to push them away, to shoo them away, because they think it's a bother that shouldn't come to Christ. But Christ stops them from doing that. He tells them not to hinder these children from coming to him because it's those children who receive the kingdom of God. 
And in order to understand what this means, we have to go to Matthew. Well, trust is crucial. That's, that's what it means. But we do have to go to Matthew. So Matthew chapter 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Coming to God requires this trust. And if you think about a child, who do they trust in? Well, they trust in who they see. They trust in mom or dad because they're there and they can see them and they can reach out and grab their hand. I remember when I was a, a young kid, whenever I would go out with my dad or, or my family, my dad would have me hold on to his back pocket. Because if I was holding on to his back pocket, I knew that dad was going to keep me safe. Dad was going to take me wherever I needed to go. And I wouldn't be lost. There's this inherent trust that children have in their parents. And it's this kind of trust that we need as Christians before God. A trust that if I turn to him, he is going to lead me in the right way. He is going to guide me. He is going to protect me. He is going to save me. Jesus gives this, teaches about this because this trust comes from this idea that if, if I ask God for something, I can expect that God is, is going to do something good. That if I go to God in prayer, his answer is not going to be something wicked or evil. And that's what's brought out here in Matthew 7 where it says... Which one of you, if your son asks for, a, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if a fish, give him a serpent? No parent is going to give something that is, in terms of bread or for a stone, no one's going to give something that's completely opposite of what's being asked. They're going to provide for the needs of their child. They're not going to give him a serpent that can bite and, and, and poison their kid. God knows how to reward his disciples. He knows how to answer the prayers of His disciples. And all we have to do is ask Him and seek Him. And that asking and seeking requires a trust that is crucial to our faith and to our prayers. Sometimes we, we reject this idea of going to God with this childlike mentality. I know I have before because, again, it's that idea of pride. I've grown up. I've matured. I can just go to God for, for small things. I can just go to God here and there. Children can't do anything that adults can. So, so why should I go to God like a child when I can come to Him like an adult? We have to go to God like children. We have to have this trust before God. This idea or this understanding that God is able to do all things. He can save me. He can care for me. He can protect me. He can help me grow in Him. And if I have that trust, if I have that understanding, I'm going to be persistent in my prayers. I'm going to be humble in my prayers. I'm going to be talking to God an awful lot. Praying is this crucial part of our faith. Those times where we feel like we're not being heard or we're not being answered are hard to overcome sometimes. Because sometimes our life is difficult. We've got a lot of trials in our life. We've got sicknesses. We've got deaths. And sometimes we, we feel like we're not being heard. 
But when I trust in God, when I trust in what He has said in His Word, when I trust in what I've seen Him do in other people's lives, then I know God is listening. I know God is there and hearing. His answer might just be different than what I expect or desire His answer to be. Trusting in God is there to help us when we feel these disconnects. Because the more I trust in God, the more I'm going to turn to Him. The more I'm going to build myself up in Him. And those doubts will start to get chipped away at little by little. Prayer helps us to grow this relationship with God. It helps us to grow our trust in Him. And that's what I think Luke 18 is talking about. I appreciate your attention this morning. We're going to go ahead and be dismissed for our classes.